If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, but who were speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Today, as we continue our study in Hebrews, we get back to the study of angels. Two weeks ago, it was about Christ's supremacy over the angels. This week, we will talk more about their role in God's plan for us. But in doing so, these verses teach us what God's intended destiny is for his children, how and why it was lost, and how it will be recovered. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this truth. We thank you for this text. We thank you for the beautiful gift that you've given us, the hope, the expectation, the provision for now and for eternity, Father. We pray that your spirit will guide us this morning as we study this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Back to verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. The Greek word used here for world is very specific. It meant the inhabited earth, the physical inhabited earth. There will be another physical world after the one that we are inhabiting now. It will be the great millennial kingdom. God's plan was never to give angels rule over this world to come. As mentioned in the last verse of chapter 1, in the world to come, angels will be servants and not rulers. This will be the holy angels, those who remained in heaven with God. This will be the great and glorious world, the world of perfection. Whoever reigns in that world will be glorious, but it will not be angels. It will be us. Yes, it will be Christ, but it will be us with Christ. For some perspective, we must understand that our present inhabited earth, the earth as we know it, as we see it, as we feel it, as we experience it, is in fact ruled by angels. It is ruled by the fallen angels. The holy angels are present. They do serve us 
And they fight for us, the children of God. But the fallen angels reign over this world. That is where the great spiritual battle comes in that we briefly noted in the video for Bible school this summer. That's what we're going to study. That's that spiritual battle. The chief fallen angel is Satan. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 8, this is the temptation of Christ. It says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you. This is Satan saying, I will give these to you. He knew he had dominion over them at that time. If you will fall down and worship me. And if we need a little more evidence from Scripture, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, John writes, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's the reality that we have now. And that's why this world is in the mess it's in. Because it is a corrupt and fallen world. But while angels do rule the present earth, man was created as the ultimate king of the earth. And in God's final destiny for us, we will one day reign as God designed us to reign. Verse 6, it says it has been, the author says it has been testified somewhere. In fact, it was in Psalms 8. David wrote, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? These verses refer to mankind. They refer to us, not to the Messiah. He is not mentioned until verse 9 of this text. David had wondered, God, you've done this amazing thing, but why? What is man? What are we that you have done so much for us? In the scope of all of creation, what is man? Why are we so valuable in the mind of God? Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that walks on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, into everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. 
That was the reality in the garden. That was a lengthy text, but it, is the, it was the reality in the garden. Beautiful, perfect, tranquility, amazing creation of God. Man was a special creature. Out of all of God's creation, we are the only ones, only ones created in God's image. And we have the greatest capacity to love. Verse 7, in this state, in the midst of this reality of the garden, David wrote, you made him a little while lower than the angels, speaking of mankind, speaking of us. It is not that we are lower than the angels spiritually in the spiritual realm or are less loved by God or less important to God. So if it's none of those, then how are we lower than the angels? We are physical. They are spiritual. That's how we are lower than the angels. That's how Christ was made for a little while lower than the angels. Angels are heavenly creatures. We are earthbound. This is temporary. God has a destiny for man that will elevate us to king. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Paul wrote these words. Do you not know that we, mankind, are to judge angels? We will be in authority over them. Man is confined to earth and relatively nearby space. Angels are able to come to earth at will and have supernatural power and strength. Things that not even sinless Adam and Eve had. Our only direct fellowship as mankind with God has been with Jesus as he walked on the earth. Angels have continual access to the throne of God. Angels are spirit beings. Man is made out of the dust of the earth. After Satan rebelled, and him and his demons were cast out of heaven. The faithful angels were secured in holiness forever. Heaven was pure, holy, no unrighteousness, no, de no death, no wickedness there, period. The, the fallen angels were cast out. The holy angels were secured. After Adam rebelled, all men were cursed with him. At the time of creation... Angels were perfect. Man was innocent. But even in his innocence, man had the choice to sin. And with it, the ability to love. Having that choice gave us the ability, the capacity to love. Angels were never subject to death. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 16 in his first words to man, to mankind, to us. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In the coming new earth, in the millennial kingdom, 
things will be much different than they are now. Daniel chapter 7 verse 18 gives us a glimpse. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Again, Daniel chapter 7 down to verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominion shall serve and obey him. An eternal kingdom in which mankind, not angels, will rule. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. Jesus addressed it this way. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And if we are going to sit with Jesus, who is higher than the angels, on his throne, then we too will be higher than the angels. The whole earth will be redeemed. And man will be crowned in Christ. That is the promise for the future, our destiny in Christ. Verse 8. As a result of this destiny, putting everything in, subju in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his, our, mankind's control. That's where we started in the garden. And that's where we are going in the eternal kingdom. But that is not where we are right now. Verse 8, again, the second half. It says, at present. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Our destiny was paused by Adam and Eve's sin. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Here we see the direct result of their sin, ultimately our sin. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then in verse 17, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And it, and it, of it you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. After that point, man was put out of the garden. He was no longer, no longer able to live there. Interestingly enough, 
Before the fall, there was only one tree they couldn't eat of. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was there. They could eat of it. They could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there was another tree they couldn't eat of. At that point, it was the tree of life. Death had to come. The curse had to come. We'll get into that a little bit later. But interesting how circumstances changed with the decision. The earth was originally here for our delight. It supplied all of our needs without us, mankind, Adam and Eve, having to do anything. They would just eat berries and nuts and fruit effortlessly. But then, tempted by Satan, man sinned. And his tempter claimed the crown, claimed the dominion, claimed the authority. Man fell to the bottom of the hierarchy of authority in the sentient beings. And the earth, under Satan's rule, now rules man. Think about it as we look at this. Mankind is about 6,000 years old, as, as so is the earth. But in those 6,000 years, in those 6,000 years, it's only been about the last 100 years plus some change that we have made great strides in mass-producing food with much, much less manual labor. The ratio of food to the amount of manual labor required has greatly increased. In those same hundred plus years, look at the great advancements in medical developments that have greatly decreased the pain in childbirth. The pain is still there. But with the medicines and the different things that we have now, it has been decreased. And finally, in those same hundred plus years, the advancement of women's rights. The three main elements of the curse. It's not coincidental that in those same 100 plus years, many of the Old Testament prophecies of the second coming have been fulfilled. Particularly those concerning the nation of Israel. The end is near. Our destiny is near. But for now, Satan rules the cursed earth, which rules sinful man. We not only lost, gave up dominion over the earth, we also lost mastery of ourselves. We were totally sinful and became a slave to sin. Also as a result, animals are subject to us not out of honor, but out of fear. The ground originally produced good things, naturally and abundantly, for man to have for the taking, as I already mentioned. Now it produces thorns, weeds, and other nasty things, naturally and abundantly. Whatever good things we now get from the earth come through great effort, Extreme heat and cold, poisonous plants and reptiles, earthquakes, tornadoes, floods, hurricanes, 
disease, war. All of these things came after the fall. And we have been fighting a losing battle ever since. You say, that doesn't sound very hopeful. No, we have been fighting a losing battle. All things will die. Mankind, as breathing biological forms, have been dying for millennium. And as our attempt as feudal man strapped by the curse and as a result of our attempt to overcome the curse by our own efforts, by our own ingenuity, by our own abilities, the earth is also dying through pollution and overconsumption of natural resources. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The curse, the corruption, was not to punish us. The purpose of the curse, the corruption of the creation, was not to punish us. It was to discipline us as mankind, to bring us to the point of decision, to understand what we had with and without God. But in the meantime, we are subject to the earth. We are at the mercy of the earth. We plant without knowing who will reap. We build buildings of all types, but they are susceptible to various natural disasters and decay. We don't know at what moment our lives might dramatically change. We might be diagnosed with cancer, be involved in a car accident, some accident of any kind. We fight ourselves, we fight each other, and we fight the earth. Every day we hear bad news from all over the world. We see plants and animals struggle and die. We have hospitals, fire stations, police departments, and military forces, all struggling against the curse. God did not intend it to be this way. And it will be this way only for a little while. All as a means to the end. Someday in the world to come, when the kingdom comes, hospitals will be closed. Doctors will be out of business. And the aggressive nature of wild animals and of human beings will be gone. The plants and trees will flourish on their own. The game of politics will be over. And wars will cease. Redeemed man will reign. A day is coming when... Through the wonderful plan of God, 
the dominion that we lost will be given back to us. We will never die. And we will reign over the angels with Christ on his throne. How will this day come? Verse 9. But we see him, Christ, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Paul expounded on this very point in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 5. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. John MacArthur writes these words. He says, in Christ, we are kings. We do not have our kingdom yet, but it is certain to be ours. Our old bodies are going to fall off someday, but we are not going to die. Our bodies will die, but even they will one day be resurrected in a new and eternal kingdom. We will be free to go into the presence of Jesus to accomplish this coming reality for us. Jesus had to become a man. He subjected himself to the curse, the curse that we as mankind brought on to regain our dominion, to regain our destiny, to put our place on his throne. He subjected himself to the curse that we brought on. He had to taste death for us. If we had died for our own sins, we would have been doomed forever. But Christ came to die for us. Because in his dying, he alone could conquer death. As we identify ourselves with Jesus Christ in his death, as we receive him as Savior, we have a beautiful destiny awaiting us. The curse is removed. And we become joint heirs with him in the eternal kingdom. But for now, we are living with the curse. We and creation as we know it are dying. If you remember nothing else I tell you this morning, because we have went through a lot, but if you remember nothing else I tell you this morning, don't 
fight the curse. Don't fight the curse. No, taking drugs or taking any medical intervention to minimize pain during childbirth, fighting for women's rights where they have genuinely been sinned against for millennium, using equipment to till the ground to produce food. These things are not sin. They are not what I mean by fighting the curse. Fighting the curse is making this life about the curse and not about our destiny. The curse was necessary for the purity of the eternal kingdom. We have the ability to choose good or evil. We have that ability so that we have the beautiful gift of being able to love. The curse is a result of that ability and a means to the end. Without the curse, there would be no eternal holy kingdom to rule. Jesus destroyed the curse. It's done. It's over. It's finished. The curse will end. The price has been paid. Jesus did it. When we are in Christ, the, the curse becomes an opportunity. An opportunity for us to share Christ with others. That's going to mean that sometimes we are going to have to submit to the curse. Unless Christ returns, we are all going to submit to death. This does not mean that we don't call sin, sin. That we shouldn't be good stewards of the earth or take good care of our earthly bodies. But we should do those things to honor and glorify God, not to exalt ourselves or try to hold on to extend our earthly physical lives. In Philippians chapter 1, as we studied it prior to Hebrews, but we'll go back there, Starting in Philippians 1, verse 21, Paul testifies to his own internal battle. He says, For me to live, but to die is Christ. And to die. For me to live is Christ. Let's start over. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Paul did not fight the curse. He embraced it. Paul knew, you know, we've talked before, just a few weeks ago I mentioned again about the reality of lineal time for us. Lineal time is for our benefit. There's a beginning and an end to time for us. And that's to give us an opportunity in the midst of the curse to make this decision. When we die, when we pass out of lineal time, we pass into God's time. Which means the moment we die, we will cross into this eternal kingdom. Because time is different there. We're outside of this lineal time. Paul knew that. He knew, he said in these verses, when I die, I want to, I'm going to see Christ face to face. Knowing that was coming, out of his desire for the lost and his desire to honor Christ, 
He longed to stay here, to continue to serve. Paul was not fighting the curse. The curse was defeated. And he was trying to tell everybody he could that truth. That was his goal. When we fight the curse, we magnify death. When we embrace it, we magnify life. When we fight the curse, we magnify death. When we embrace the curse, we magnify life. Paul got that, do we? And when we magnify life, we are uninhibited in our anticipation of our destiny. And the curse does not own us. I pray this morning that the curse does not own you. I pray this morning that in your secured place with Christ, that you understand that the curse is dead for eternity. The price has been paid. Every breath we take in this life, every decision we make is an opportunity to tell others of the good news that the curse is dead. That there is this eternal destiny awaiting us. I pray that you're walking in that reality and that you're not fighting the curse. That you are embracing it and bringing life to those who all, to all who come in contact with you. You see, when you fight the curse, then the things that happen in this fallen world, the spiritual battles, all of the bad things that happen, you're throwing darts at everybody else. How could you do this to me? How could you do that to this person, this innocent person? How could you do all these things? And these things are terrible. They're wretched. And those people who are committing those, perpetrating those sins, they are going to pay for them in eternity. But that curse is dead. And when we walk in that reality and those people are hurting in this life and we bring the reality of the defeated curse, the reality of this eternal destiny to them, that's the hope we give them. I pray that you're walking in that hope this morning. That you're not fighting the curse. That you're embracing it. And that you're walking in the beauty of those promises. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your provisions. Thank you for your love and your care. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to choose. Thank you, Lord, that we can know love. We first know your love, and then we know the, we know the gift, the beauty of loving others and receiving love from others. Thank you, God, that in, as a result of our sinful choices as man, that you brought the curse to show us just how bad it is without you, Father. God, may we turn towards you. May we serve you in this life. May we bring the truth to all those who you bring us, Father. God, may we embrace the curse. May we not fight, struggle, and die against the curse in this life. But may we embrace it. Bring life to those who don't know you, Father. God, may your spirit guide us. May your spirit strengthen us. May we walk in the power of your spirit and your gift, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.